0: A warning, this podcast contains discussion and descriptions of physical, sexual and psychological violence and may not be suitable for listeners under 15 years.
1: A listener production.
0: Welcome back to State Crime Command. This is episode two of Control, brought to you by the New South Wales Police Force Domestic and Family Violence Team. In episode one, Cassie was in a relationship with a dangerous and abusive partner, an American we've named Connor for legal reasons. In 2016, the three-year relationship was over, yet they still owned a house together and shared a child. Connor was continuing to exert control over Cassie, trying to persuade her to recant her complaint. There were times when she wavered on giving evidence against him. She even considered going back to Connor and trying to make it work again. That all changed on March 2nd, 2016, the day when Cassie's fight back began, at what seemed her darkest hour.
2: When he took my son, everything really shifted for me and I was like, I will never listen to you again. I will never see you again. He ripped him out of my car and kept him. He took him on a Wednesday at about midday and locked him in the house and told the police that I was abusing him because I tried to get my son.
0: Cassie's father, Louis... Mate, I was fuming. I wanted to go up there
2: and deal with it face to face is the best way to do it and she refused to let us go anywhere near there. She begged us not to go but she just said she would have to do it and she went and she slept there overnight two or three nights in her car until she was able to
0: get her son back off him. at that time. In 2016 Connor's goal was simple, to stay in Australia. By virtue of marrying Cassie, he was invited to become a permanent resident. The catch being that Cassie had to sign off on the paperwork and that was unlikely. His first task was to defend the charges he was answering in July of that year. He needed to portray Cassie as the aggressor, a liar and fabricator. He would lure or compel her into breaching the violence orders and then make complaints to the police.
2: He was trying to have me arrested. He would even try to convince me to tell the police that I was lying about the domestic violence. And he was like, it's better if you go to prison for a short time rather than me because then we will still be a family. So you should just tell them you're lying and you you just copied. it. It be much better because if I go, I'll be gone for 20 years and we'll lose our whole life together. And I would just sit there looking at him going seriously asking me to go to prison for nothing? Like, why would... You know, his way of thinking was always about getting him out of trouble and that was his plan to make me look bad and take off with my son and change my life for the worse.
0: Connor overreached when he snatched his son in March 2016, though he wouldn't feel the consequences of it until much later. Cassie had regained her will and finally began to tell her truth.
2: And then... I had to go to court. I went to the federal court in Parramatta and I spent the day with a legal aid officer and explained my whole situation and gave her every detail of all the abuse and finally on the Friday afternoon a federal court order was issued to get my son back and I was granted temporary permanent sole parental responsibility for my son.
0: Cassie's evidence to the legal aid officer in March 2016 was the first time she told her full story. And quite perversely, this evidence weighed against her. When Connor came to court in July, his defence highlighted the inconsistency between the partial account Cassie gave police in July 2015 and what she told the Federal Court. This inconsistency raised a reasonable doubt. On July 22, 2016, Connor was acquitted of all charges and the ADVO was not continued. The magistrate found that Cassie's evidence was unsafe to convict on. In August 2016, Cassie tried once more to have Connor brought to account. She gave new statements detailing all the abuse she'd suffered to a new investigator, Senior Constable Leslie King.
1: She needed to be listened to, she needed to be heard, she needed to be believed, she needed someone to be there to take the time to go through what had happened to her. It takes a long time to take a statement. It takes a long time to investigate matters that have been occurring over years, matters that have occurred in private, so there's not a lot of witnesses. And it was just to say to her... I'm going to be here to investigate these matters. I believe you. I'm listening to you. Come on in. Let's sit down. We'll start from the beginning. And once they realise that you are prepared to invest that time, and it's a trust relationship as well.
0: Sadly, despite the work Leslie King put in, the legal advice received did not support a prosecution at that time. This must have seemed a big win for Connor. He didn't have his son, but he'd gotten away with everything. And he'd found a new means of staying in Australia. He didn't need Cassie anymore. Connor had begun another relationship in January 2016. I met Connor on Tinder. 36-year-old Kylie was taken in by Connor's charm, as Cassie had been.
3: He seemed like a nice guy, so, yeah, uh, he was kind of good-looking. A little bit good-looking, but maybe not...
0: Amazingly beautiful,
3: but seemed nice. And when we first started chatting, he came across very wholesome. Like you know, he needed to run errands, and you know, he seemed like he's got his life together, and he owns a house and all this sort of stuff, and where he lives. So he wasn't like the typical guy that just kind of wants to meet up and yeah.
0: Connor seemed to be open about his past. He told Kylie that he'd been married in Australia and had a baby with his ex. They'd recently separated, and it was ugly. They owned a house together. He's still living in
3: the house. Um, And it was later down the line he kind of mentioned that, you know, she's portraying that he used to hit her and things like that and he was the victim of, you know, what was going on and things like that. Yeah. I guess at the beginning I kind of didn't want to get involved or believe either or. Yeah, so Cassie had kind of contacted me when she found out I was dating Connor and tried to warn me, but I just kind of thought she was being jealous of the new relationship. Uh, In text messages, well, I kind of just ignored them and then she ended up messaging the messages to my friends, obviously going through my Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, just saying that, you know, that that he's very violent, he's this, he's that, be careful. You were in love.
0: He could do no wrong.
3: I wouldn't say I was in love. No, I was just looking for a fun relationship at the time and kind of didn't really care too much. And then obviously um, he brought up the idea of having a baby and I guess that's what kind of changed my mind because I was at the point in my life, I think I was 36, and I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to have kids. It's, you know, guys kind of don't want to settle down. And then he was like, well, I would love to settle down with you and have a kid. And I was like, okay. And I was like, maybe I should do this. But then... Yeah, I was like, I didn't actually think I'd fall pregnant. So four weeks later, I was pregnant. I think it was March or April, yeah. And then I was actually I was actually going on a girl's trip to New York. And when I got to New York, that's when I realized I was pregnant. Then when I came back to Sydney, I tried to break up the relationship with him. Why? Because I could just tell what Cassie was saying was true. I started to see that.
4: Mm.
3: Um, but yeah, he's also someone to be fearful of and scared of.
0: Meanwhile, Connor was still trying to control Cassie's emotions, making no secret of his new relationship.
2: He had said little things here and there and then I found out that she was pregnant and I was just like, I can't... So he's having relationships with other women but also trying to convince me that he wants to be with me, he wants to stay married and still wants to have this whole life with me.
0: Cassie met Kylie in person during the family court battle. Connor wanted to see his son on his birthday and persuaded Cassie to meet.
2: So I agree, but I said, I'm only agreeing if you bring someone, I don't want to do this alone. I'm too scared and we're going to an open place where there's people in a public area. I don't want to do this at someone's house. Like, I don't feel safe. And Kylie and him met me at a park and that was the first time I'd actually ever had any real conversation with Kylie. I could tell he was hurting her. You could just see it in her face. She would sort of say little things that were like to try and you know make him seem like he's a better person now but I I know him too well he's not changed and I can see it in your face like I know that he's and I knew that he was hurting her too but she wouldn't say it Mm. but I could just tell you just I don't know I guess you just sort of realize things after you've experienced it.
3: The first time it ever happened was so basically he used to have to check into the police station because him and Cassie's court case wasn't resolved so he was still having to check in weekly to the local police station I was living in Kirribilli at the time and he'd somehow moved himself into my apartment and so he was checking in at Mossman police station and I was driving him there one night and he was just I was so tense around him and I could just feel something was going wrong So when he went into the police station to check in, I called my friend and was like, I'm so scared. She's like, just leave, get away from there. So I drove off while he was in the police station. Then I realised he had the keys to my apartment, so I couldn't get into my apartment. So I was quite scared and then he called me like, where are you? And I was like, just give me the keys to my apartment. And he was just, yeah, obviously he's very, I don't know how to put it, like, um you know, the way he's yelling at me, he was scaring me. So I actually went into the police station and I said, look, um, has Connor been in here to check in tonight? And they said, yeah, he's already left. I said, well, look, um, I'm really worried. I need to get my house keys off him, but I'm actually scared to go see him because I think he might actually hit me. And they said, well, has he hit you or anything? I said, no. And they go, well, there's nothing we can do until something happens. So then I had to take it on my own self to go drive and get the keys off him. Um, So I pulled over on the side of the road, got out of the car and there was people walking past because we were near businesses and he was trying to throw money at me and stuff like that and then he still wouldn't give me back my keys and then he dragged me into like the side of a business where they keep all the bins and that's when he first threw me down on the floor and yeah, it was pretty horrific and there was a physio place that was above the bins looking down and they were banging on the windows like, come in here and we'll help you, you know? But then he grabbed my car and I was deciding, do I go into this business and try to get saved or am I embarrassed or do I get in the car because I didn't want him to take my brand new car that I had just bought. So silly me got in the car with him and yeah, that's when it all started and from then it never stopped, yeah.
0: Did you report that incident?
3: No, I was too scared. I was hoping that he would move out, but no.
0: And you're pregnant?
3: Pregnant, embarrassed, mortified, couldn't believe it.
0: And I guess there's always people around you in these situations will say, I told you so. I told you it was no good.
3: Yeah. My friend was like, why don't you just get in your car and drive and leave everything your own? And I was like, I'm not giving up everything. And in hindsight, I probably should have got in the car and left. But, yeah, I guess I would have always been looking over my shoulder as well. So
0: Absolute dilemma. Yeah. So it continued and it became normal in your relationship, would you say? How, how often would it happen?
3: I would probably say I honestly couldn't probably tell you. Like there's probably like 10 significant incidents that I do remember, but it's the day-to-day abuse. So it's all the scars and bruises and punches and hits. Nothing is as bad as the day-to-day abuse and being locked on balconies naked while you're pregnant and him forcing you to drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes while you're pregnant so he can film you and have evidence that you're a bad parent and that he will go to social services and have the child taken off you. And so he's constantly creating scenarios to prevent you from going to the police and ways to protect himself. And you kind of believe it all. And yeah, it's pretty mortifying to be locked naked pregnant on a balcony, on your own balcony, (laughs) Mm. really, for hours on end. Yeah, I was just praying the whole pregnancy that the child would change his life and how could he do that to me with the child. But even at the hospital, he wouldn't allow me to have any drugs. I couldn't have an epidural. I couldn't even have any sort of pain relief. I ended up having to get induced. So the labor pains are a lot worse when you're induced. Um, He didn't even come to the hospital with me. I had to get myself to the hospital he turned up later, I asked him to bring me food because they weren't going to feed me until I got to the ward but ended up having an allergic reaction to the drug that they induced me with and he turned up with food that he knows I don't like. Then he left and he didn't even come back. I had to call him the next morning to come for the birth. I had the child and then my friend was there and she left because she thought she wanted to give us some time alone to enjoy our new child. soon as she left, he left the hospital He then turned up the next day demanding that I check myself out of hospital because he didn't want me to be there. And I was so scared I actually did check myself out. So I said to him, can you pick me up? And he goes, I'll be waiting outside so I could barely walk. My child was one day old. I'd given birth like less than 24 hours ago. I had to carry out all my stuff, the newborn baby. He then made me drive the car home, but he wanted to go to King's Cross and eat chicken. So I had to drive to King's Cross with a one-day-old baby Didn't know how to breastfeed. I was, the baby was screaming. He took off with the baby because I was apparently walking too slow through King's Cross because I could barely walk after giving birth and breastfeeding in a King's Cross restaurant in the toilets. (laughs) Came home and I was scared to even sleep. Um, Then it was probably, my milk had just come through. So it was probably three days after I gave birth. Um, I had a lot of milk. So while I was breastfeeding, I asked him to pass me the breast pump and I asked him three times because he ignored me. And I thought, I'm asking for a breast pump. I'm not asking for anything else. He then came and punched me three times in the head while I was breastfeeding about three days old because I'd asked him three times. Mm. And then probably a few days after that, because when I was pregnant, he made me stop my car in a no stopping zone on Pacific Highway. And I ended up getting a ticket for $390 for stopping there. So I wanted to go to court to explain to the judge why I was stopped there to try get off with the fine. And on the day I was a week old of the court date and I was like, I just can't go because, you know, I've only had a week ago. I had no energy and then he just bashed the hell out of me because he wanted me to go and not pay the fine. And he hit me so badly in the back of my head that for three months lying down, I couldn't even lay on my back because the pain in my head was that brutal for three months yeah.
0: Third of February twenty seventeen was a some kind of climax to all this when he asked you to participate in the threesome.
3: That's right, yeah. He said if we haven't had a threesome by the end of the week that I, I don't even know what he threatened to do to me now. Could be anything, kill me, kill my
0: parents. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So this was organised on Tinder with a woman called...
3: That's correct. Yeah, so I was at home. I just couldn't believe this was actually going to happen. And he's like, oh, you need to get drunk because you need to be drunk so you'll do this because I obviously didn't want to do this. My baby's six weeks old, sleeping in a room. So I was, like, breastfeeding, so I had to express all this milk because I knew that I'd be drinking and wouldn't be able to breastfeed my child. I was like almost in tears and I think I ended up drinking that much that night because I just was so fearful of doing this. And when the time came to actually have the threesome, I couldn't do it. So I walked into the bathroom, he followed me, he slapped me in the face really hard and he's like, you're embarrassing me. I walked outside to the balcony, um, the girl followed me and she's like, are you okay? And I said, no, I don't make a scene, but he's just hit me, please don't say anything, but just can you leave? Then I think she got upset, I went back into the bathroom and that's when he just destroyed my face. I was had blood, my face was split open, there was blood everywhere. I had screaming in my arms and he was yelling at me because I was completely covered in blood. So he made me get in the shower fully clothed to wash. He was always very smart. He would never leave me in these situations because he was scared I was going to go to the police. So he'd always try to fix my bruises and fix... All the damage he's done to me so that no one would know but I actually convinced him I said why don't you go and take this girl home because she's really scared and just make out that I am lying and so he actually did go but he took my phone my everything so I had no communication and I was at the point where I was like if I don't get my face fixed like I'm gonna have massive scarring and it's getting you know like I just I had enough for the first time I only had my laptop and I was like, how do you call the police through your laptop? It was the first time I actually wanted to call the police, um, but I couldn't even work out. You can't call the police through your laptop. So I was like, what do I do at three o'clock in the morning? I'm going to have to be so mortified and go and knock on a neighbor's door and try to wake them up. And so I went out on the balcony and I had blood everywhere. I was a mess. And luckily, three guys were coming home from a nightclub and they were about to open the front door. And my, I yelled over the balcony if they could call the police for me. They ended up running into my apartment and they got me and they took me to their apartment and the ambulance came and then the ambulance was like, the police need to come. So they sent the officers down and I was still that scared. There was three female officers and um, they're like, we need to go into your apartment and we need to get your clothes. And I said, well, no, what if he comes back? And I was still scared to even be seen with the police to go into my apartment to get clothes for (laughs) myself.
4: My name's Senior Constable Amy-Lee Austin. I've been in the job now 10 years. I've been at Northern Beaches since 2014. Prior to that, I was at Goulburn, and I still currently work at Northern Beaches Area Command. I was working night shift when we received a call at approximately 4.20am on Saturday the 4th of February in relation to Kylie having been assaulted by her partner. Domestics are one of those serious situations that can be very um, volatile. People tend to act out of rage and you never know what you're going to step into when you're going to a domestic scene. It's just the unknown. We are quite tired being at 4.20am and all of a sudden you become really alert. You know the job's on sort of thing that you need to start thinking about what you're going to be walking into because you don't know. So obviously upon entering that unit, we we're confronted with a woman who had sustained quite significant injuries, something I haven't seen before. Her injuries were quite serious, and straight away, her safety and welfare is important to us. So, obviously, getting an ambulance there, she needed medical assistance.
0: And what were her injuries, if you can recall?
4: She had quite an amount of swelling and bruising around her left eye. I remember there being blood coming out of both her ears. Her face was covered with red marks. I could see a bite mark on her neck and she had quite a severe laceration to her upper right cheek, which was bleeding quite heavily and obviously quite a bit of blood covering most of her facial area and um, upper body. I took the baby um, for some time and held that baby. The baby also had blood on him. I believe she may have been holding him during one of the assaults taking place. So there was dry blood on that little baby as well. And um, making sure he was safe and had no significant injuries was important as well to us. When he called the police in the
3: morning, he actually cleaned the whole apartment and then called the police and said, I think my girlfriend and son's been abducted.
4: So we knew his place of work and that he was due to work that day. We assumed that was our best avenue in locating him and arresting him for the offences, which was arranged. And when the police interviewed him, they asked him, why do you have blood on your hands? And he said, oh,
3: because I was cleaning the apartment before I came here.
0: (laughs) With Connor in custody, police concerns turned to providing ongoing support to Kylie. A domestic violence officer was assigned to her case.
1: So, my name is Senior Constable Larissa Ryan. I've been a member of the New South Wales Police for about 18 years. I am currently working at Northern Beaches Police, and I've been a domestic violence officer for about 10 of those years. So, I would call her, I know that she was still in hospital at that time, having her injuries treated, so I think it wasn't until that afternoon that I spoke to her, but for me. I really had to try and build rapport with her straight away so that she would trust me. How do you do that? I think it's a lot of just listening to them, uh, listening to their story and believing them as well. Also, I think just offering support and advice.
0: Kylie did need the support as she was under extreme pressure. Connor started to break the ADVO at will by making contact with her. This was despite the fact that the ADVO included conditions, that he was not to approach or contact her, not to try to find her and not to go within 100 metres of where she worked or lived. Larissa Ryan was there to answer Kylie's questions and take action where necessary.
3: Yeah, I think Larissa was amazing and everything, but I guess there's also laws that didn't work in my favour so you know they always said to me if he does break his AVO that he would be locked up until the court case.
0: However Kylie was reluctant to contact police when Connor repeatedly breached the ADVO. Many of the breaches were over text messages but on one occasion he climbed up to Kylie's balcony and gained entry to her apartment. With his ability to control Kylie dwindling, on February 23rd, 2017, Connor resorted to pursuing her to a local shopping centre.
3: I did call the police and he was arrested and then that night around midnight, and obviously I'm at home with my young baby, the police called me at midnight and they said, look, we're going to release Connor. I said, are you kidding me? It's like midnight. I'm so scared in my apartment he can break in here and get in here and can you at least hold him until the morning for me so I've got a chance to get out of here. So they were like, we'll call you back, we'll speak to the whoever in charge. They called me back, they said, look, we can hold him till 7am, but after 7am we have to let him go.
0: Connor was held by police until he met his bail conditions, at which time he was immediately released.
3: So then I was like... Oh, my God. So I slept, I woke up at 5am, I packed everything in the car and I drove like five hours down south because I was that scared to be in my apartment. So I guess that's where I felt, that's when I started to not sort of trust in the police because the fear of being alone, they can't be with you there 24-7.
0: One positive for Kylie was that she and Cassie had joined forces.
2: Things changed when I found out that Kylie had ended up in hospital because of him. I found out and I reached out to her and I said, whatever you need, I'm here. I know what you went through. And I gave her my number and I said, you can call me anytime. She eventually ended up calling me and the first time we stayed on the phone until about one in the morning, just talking about it and, you know, going, how crazy is this guy? How have we ended up here?
0: And what was your advice to Kylie at that point?
2: Everything that I had experienced that didn't go my way, I just made sure she, you know, learned from my experiences and she did. She watched what he did with me and she listened to things that I'd said and like things like her son's birth certificate. And I was like, don't let him sign it. Don't let him sign off that he's the father. Just get it because then you can get his passport. You can do whatever you want. Just don't let Connor sign his birth certificate, you know, and so she didn't. She'd, I said, just pretend you've lost it because they had moved houses. I'm like, pretend you've lost it. You can't find it. Just don't let him have it. And, you know, she did not she ended up being able to get the birth certificate sorted without Connor's signature
0: on it. On March 27, 2017, police serving a subpoena on Kylie for the next court date witnessed Connor entering Kylie's first floor apartment through a sliding door. Kylie denied he was there. She was visibly shaking and her voice was trembling. She wouldn't allow the officers to enter her apartment. Police caught up with Connor the next day and he was again arrested and charged for breaching an ADVO and his bail conditions. Police bail refused him and he was also bail refused by the court on March 28. Meanwhile, DVO Larissa Ryan continued to work hard to gain Kylie's confidence. If she engaged fully with the prosecution, this was the best chance of preventing further violence.
1: I know that Kylie didn't really want to talk to me at first. I think she was in denial of her situation, of her actually being a victim. Violence in their relationship was the norm for her. And you've got to remember, she was very vulnerable. She just had a baby. They were a new family unit. And I think that this gentleman really convinced her that she needed him in her life to complete it, for the baby to put a roof over her head, financial support. I don't think she was working at that time. So all of this just convinces her, well, this is my life. This is what happens. This is our relationship and I've just got to get on with it.
0: And I have to protect, in a sense, the man who's been assaulting me.
1: Yeah. And especially when there was a baby as well, then she had to protect that baby from him. So for me, I really just had to talk to her, support her, listen to her and just tell her, this is not normal. Like she was... I guess trapped in a life where there was daily violence, so we just—I just had to convince her that this is this is not right and this is not normal. And I just would ring her every day, just talking to her, supporting her, and just being there for her.
0: Kylie had to overcome her fear that Connor would be set free on bail again and come for her as he had before.
3: It was only on the third time that's when the judge finally said he can't be released. Once he said that he's not going to let him out, I was over the moon and I could breathe.
0: Cassie was overjoyed to know that Connor was off the streets and was now in jail. So, in the end, it goes right. Kylie gets done what you couldn't get done, unfortunately.
2: Mm-hmm. I attended court with her. We'd be on the phone talking to each other. But, yeah, I made every effort possible to turn up to court with her for the court dates and any sort of hearings that they had. I wanted to be supportive and make sure she knew she wasn't alone.
3: And to my luck, the day that he went back into court, he actually just pled guilty. So it was all over in that moment. So I didn't have to go to court.
0: How did it feel when he was found guilty and was given a custodial sentence? It was
2: fantastic,
0: actually. It
2: was a great day. (laughs) He was actually put in prison prior to his sentence being confirmed because he kept breaching his AVO and the police actually found him, so they locked him up. So he was in prison for some time before he was officially sentenced. So they'd given him the two years with 12 months, no parole. And upon the 12 months, which was um, 27 March 2018, he was released without parole but to the detention centre under the, you know, he was supposed to be deported. However, upon arriving into the detention centre, he you're assigned a caseworker, which is fair enough, and he continued on with the saying that I was the abuser, saying that I was the one that abused him in every emotional, mental, physical, every way possible. I was controlling him. I I was the one that was the abuser, not him. He was the victim, yeah, making accusations about me um, to his caseworker because he knew that if he was seen as a victim of domestic violence, he could get a visa to stay here because I had cancelled his visa, the spousal visa. I'd cancelled it not long after I'd left him.
0: Yeah, but no dice this time. Connor's on a plane. I feel free. I'm so
3: glad that he's deported and I never have to look over my shoulder again. So as much as sometimes I regret at the beginning not reporting the little incidents, in a way... Um, I'm grateful now that something happened significant enough that he was taken out of my life for good and now I can actually live my life and not have to ever worry about him and him coming back to Australia, yeah.
2: Well, actually, he was there 18 months. It took 18 months to get him out of the country. So he wasn't actually deported until September last year.
0: In the aftermath, Cassie and Kylie moved in together to help each other's healing and to allow Connor's children the chance to bond. Connor has had no contact with his Australian children since he was deported. Cassie's divorce only came through last year.
2: I didn't hear from him for three years until court had finalised a year ago. He tried to apologise and say, I'm sorry for what I put you through, I am trying to be a better person, etc, etc. To me it was just, okay, whatever, if you feel like that's clear in your conscience, no problems, I don't really care. You do whatever you want to do. I don't believe at all that he has changed. I don't need his apology, though. I am well beyond that part of my life. I never needed his apology. That's a lie. In the beginning, I probably would have appreciated an apology. However, no matter what, I probably never would have believed it to this day. I I don't believe that he's sorry. I truly don't believe he has compassion or regrets or anything for what he has done to me. But I'm okay with that. I don't need anything from him in that regard.
3: No, no.
2: It's beyond his control. I think it's like a wild demon
3: inside of him. He's not normal. He doesn't have any empathy or doesn't feel what anyone else feels. There's no cutoff. And I think he'll try and he'll probably deceive many more girls, but he will revert back to the way he was eventually.
0: Connor deserves no sympathy. His desire for control and use of violence meant that two women and their children have been harmed psychologically and physically. Cassie's dad has a message for Connor. I would say that you
2: have lost the greatest chance you had of a really good life. And because of your greed and selfishness, you got no one to blame but yourself. And the fact that your children are being raised by two fabulous mothers again is a loss for you. And you know what? They're better off without you.
0: In episode 3 of Control, Cassie and Kylie reflect on why Connor was able to continue his dominion over them for so long and senior officers and domestic violence officers from the New South Wales Police Force explain what victims and the public can expect when they engage with police regarding domestic violence. State Crime Command is produced in collaboration with the New South Wales Police Force and Real Crime Australia. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Original music and mixing by Matt Nikolich. The associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Way Shand. Digital producer, Jack Shand. Listener.